Good morning, welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and great to have you here for the first Sunday of the new year. And 20 degrees never felt so balmy as it does now, right? So break out the shorts and let's enjoy the day. So um, it's great to be together. So um, as I get older, my dates get a little sketchy, but I'm pretty sure about this timeline. It was 2003, um, it was fall, and I had just met a guy that had just graduated from City High the previous May. And he had just started following Jesus. He had just understood the gospel. And he was really eager to grow. And so he basically asked me, would you just teach me everything I need to know about the Bible, about Jesus, about prayer, all these things. And there was a special urgency to him. He's a little bit wired that way, but also he was deploying or he was... um, he had enlisted with the Marines, and so in November, he was going to head to basic training. So he felt like he had about two months to just download as much as he could before he went to the Marines. And so that's, honestly, it's a pastor's dream. Like, just you would meet with him, he would just lap it up, he would apply it, he was just so excited, he was sharing his faith, and there was other people in there helping him as well. So then we prayed a lot, like when you go uh, to basic uh, training to boot camp, that there would be another believer there, and there was. And the prayer was there would be a chaplain there. It would also be a Bible-believing chaplain, and there was. And pray there would be a church that would follow you up, and there was. Like, just really cool to see this guy's journey, like God growing him, and he was staying hungry. And so one of the coolest memories about this guy was in 2000, again, my dates, I hope I'm right, but 2004, he was deployed to Iraq. And so... The night before the initial invasion, he was on a night watch with, with a buddy, with another Marine. And so in, in that situation, he pulled out a camo Bible that was kind of trendy back in the Gulf War days, and he started reading his Bible. And his uh, teammate, his fellow Marine, said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm, I'm really just learning about, about God, and I'm praying to God. The guy said, that's cool. And then there was just silence for a little bit. And then his buddy said, well while you're praying, could you pray for my wife? Like that, again, it's very touching. Like here's a, a man about heading to uh, a war. And so he did. He prayed for his, this guy's wife. And then there was another pause. And um, the guy said, uh, could you teach me how to do that? Could you teach me how to do what you just did? Like you just talked to God. No, but the point is, like, can you get back to Fallujah and uh, all that? But like how, how, like from an outsider, just to catch a glimpse of what prayer means, you know, to say, could you teach me how to do that? Could you pray for wife? So, yeah, okay, so we'll use this now. So, um, that's cool. But I think what happens with us is that we forget, uh, if you've been a Christian for a while or you've been religious for a while, you go to church for a while, prayer is just something you kind of take for granted. Like, and if you really just stop and think about it from an outsider perspective, like, this is pretty amazing what we're going to talk about today, that that we get to open our mouths, that we get to say words, and that the creator of the universe hears us and cares about us and can actually move through and do things through our prayers. I think prayer is just kind of like something we take for granted, but it's really cool when somebody from the outside notices that and and how powerful it is. And so when Jesus was on the planet, uh, we've been studying the gospel of Mark together as a church all fall, and we've seen like a lot of powerful things Jesus did, like when he walked on the water of a stormy sea or when he calmed the storm and when he was in a boat and he just spoke and the storm stopped or when he was healing people or he raised the dead. He did a lot of astonishing things that his disciples got to see and just kind of be blown away by. But it's interesting, out of all those things, the, the only time recorded in the Bible that they asked Jesus to teach them something that he did 
is when they asked him to teach them how to pray. Like there was something so compelling about how Jesus prayed. Luke 5, 16 says that Jesus often withdrew to solitary places and he prayed. And so um, there, were, there was actually a place where Jesus would often pray and his disciples knew about that. Uh, there were times where Jesus would come back. In fact, the time they asked him to teach them was in Luke 11 where he came back. And again, if there was something about the regularity or something about how Jesus came back, if it was his countenance, or they just said, would you just teach us to do what you just did? And so this group of men and women, followers of Jesus Christ, taught, were learned, you know, learned from Jesus how to pray. And so you see throughout Jesus' ministry, he modeled and he taught his disciples how to pray. And so what we're going to look at this morning is we're going to look at that early church, that first group of believers, and we're going to dip into one of their prayer meetings. And how did they pray? And we're going to trace and see three trends that we see in their prayer and just kind of trace those things back to what they saw and what they learned in Jesus, okay? So first of the year, what we've been doing the last few years, and I think as long as we go forward, I love the first Sunday of the year being a year to remind ourselves as a church that we need to be a people who pray. And so when I say that, there's a couple dangers. Number one is we could talk about prayer today, and many of you may hear the things we talk about and say, there's really nothing new there. Like, I've heard all that before. I've heard sermons on prayer before. It's like, great, but let me take you to another side of this is there's, I would venture to guess, no one in this room would look back on 2017 and say, I was awesome at prayer. Man, I nailed prayer. In fact, I think I prayed too much. Like, I think, like, that's not the common cry I hear from a Christian heart. Usually it's, oh, I didn't pray nearly as much as I should, or I just couldn't get up as early as I needed to, or wasn't disciplined to pray enough. And so if there's one danger, it's like, oh, I've heard it all before, tune this out today. The other danger is, to go into the shame and guilt bunker. Like, oh no, he's talking about prayer. Pastor's going to make me feel bad today. Like, Jesus does not motivate us by guilt and shame, all right? He's not taking your face and rubbing it into how little you prayed last year and taunting you. Instead, what I want us to be, and what happened to us as a church this morning, is I want us to be called up through seeing how Jesus taught a group of average and ordinary followers to become people who prayed and then saw God do astonishing things through their prayer. That's what we're after today, okay? So thanks for hanging with through the bad mic. Let me pray, and then we'll go ahead and get started today. So let's pray. And Father, would you uh, teach us something fresh and new about prayer today? And I, I, at the start of a year, just think, how awesome would it be if every one of us took that prayer dial in our lives and it got cranked higher, that there was more prayer, that there were more moments of intimate prayer, that we enjoyed prayer more, what would happen in our lives? What, what peace, what power, what astonishing things await us at the start of the year? So would you please speak to your people today? And again, your voice will not be one loaded with guilt and shame, but may you call us up and remind us of this awesome privilege of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one other thing that would help me be a mic stand. Let's do this. Oh, so sorry for whoever this is. Who's... Okay. I'm going to mess this up, I'm sure. Okay. I could start singing. There's a song here. I could do that for you. Probably not. Don't encourage me. Don't. It's not a good idea. Okay. This would help a lot. There we go. 
Okay. So take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 4. I thought I could try it from memory. It's not going to work. So let's not do that. Let's just go. Let me look at my notes a little bit. Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And um, let me give you a little backstory. So the early church um, was comprised of uh, followers of Jesus that were with him for about, as we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, for about three years, Jesus taught a team of disciples. And when Jesus died and rose again from the dead, he spent 40 days with these followers. And then he ascended into heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, it tells us that when Jesus ascended, there were about 120 followers that then gathered in a room. And the first thing they did actually was pray. Like as soon as Jesus left, they got together and they prayed. And so then after that, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into these believers, and they began to launch the church. In fact, the very first sermon delivered by one of these average ordinary followers of Jesus, a fisherman named Peter, saw 3,000 people respond to the gospel and start to follow Jesus. Okay, so you've got a church of 3,120 people beginning to do church, and they were disciplined and devoted to four things. One of those four things was prayer, so these people often prayed, okay? So we get to Acts chapter 4, and in the early part of the chapter, it tells us the church had already grown to 5,000 people because the Lord continually added to their number those who were being saved. And so as the church was growing, though, the opposition became more and more intense. And Peter and John were two of these leaders of this early movement, and they were preaching very publicly that Jesus was alive and had risen from the dead. And the religious leaders of that day didn't like that. So they arrested Peter and John and put them on trial. And so Peter and John, in chapter 4, are on trial in front of this group called the Sanhedrin. It was the same religious slash political group that had just sentenced Jesus to be crucified about two months earlier. So these guys knew the gravity of their situation and who it was they were standing in front of. But in that context, listen to what Peter said to them. You know, first of all, Peter's saying, like, you crucified Christ, and you shouldn't have done that. This is my paraphrase. But then he said this, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this Jesus that you crucified is the Savior for this whole world. The only ones who are saved are those who are saved through Jesus Christ. And so he's putting it right out there. And it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished, and they recognized that these men had been with Jesus. So then it goes on a little bit, and the Sanhedrin meets and tries to decide what they're going to do with Peter and John, and they conclude this in verse 18. Since they called them, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, or rather uh, in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. So that's the backstory. Now we're going to pick it up in verse 23 and see what Peter and John did now, like right after their first major threat and opposition to the gospel going out. What did they do? So Acts 4.23, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. But stop for a second. What is so awesome here is that the first thing these guys did 
uh, was not to have a freak-out party. Oh, no, you guys, it's horrible. We got arrested. You know, just go and have a big meltdown and a big cry session. Uh, they didn't go and start collecting canned goods and start building bunkers to go hide out and just wait for the storm to pass over them. They didn't do that. They didn't sit down and start strategizing how we got to get back at our enemy, how we got to, like... The first thing they did was pray. They just stopped, and they depended on God. In this moment of intense threat and opposition, they prayed. And so um, prayer is the ultimate expression that you are depending on God. Like even for you personally, when you stop and devote, if it's five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes a day, and you just stop and pray, like there are so many other things you could be doing with that time. You could be going through your to-do list. You could be calling people. You could be networking. You could be texting. You could be reading blogs. There's so many things, but you're just pausing from all activity, and you are just depending on God. You are stopping, and you are asking God to move. That's exactly what these guys did. And sometimes from an outsider perspective, you know, the guy in Fallujah thought that was awesome. There's some people that look at you when you pray, and they think you're crazy. Okay, there was a truck driver I knew that a friend of mine said that one thing that used to bug this truck driver was on Sundays when he would drive by churches and see so many people in a church. He go, that's the biggest waste of time. All those people gathering together and doing nothing. You know, and so there might be some people that would, if they hear that you stop and you start talking to God, they're thinking, what? Well, you're just wasting 30 minutes of your day. You're talking to the carpet. You're talking to the ceiling. Like, what's what's productive about that? But yet. What these guys knew was the prayer for them was, was essential. It was their time to clearly depend on God to work and not on them to work. And you ask, well, where did these guys learn that? Where did these average, ordinary followers of Jesus learn to depend through prayer? Well, they learned that from Jesus. Again, Jesus often withdrew to pray. Like Jesus, if you think anybody in the planet who's ever walked the planet could have had a pass on prayer, it would be the one who was fully God and fully man. Like if anybody could just wing it and we'd be good with that and he'd probably do fine, you would think that would be Jesus. And yet Jesus modeled dependence by the frequency and the length and the commitment he had uh, to prayer. So why did Jesus pray so often? Well, first, he was clearly dependent on his Father. In John 5.19, for example, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. What Jesus models for us is the way to live our lives is not by our agenda or by our plan. Even the Son of God came to this life, and his mission in his life was not his own. It was his Father's. And one way to communicate that, one way to stay on track with that, was to spend time praying to his Father. So that's, that's one side. Why did Jesus pray so much? I think the other one, and sometimes we dis, discount this side of prayer, it, certainly in Jesus' life, but I think even in our own, own lives, is that for Jesus, prayer was a time to connect with his Father. Remember that Jesus, for eternity past, for all of eternity past, had the most perfect love relationship with his father. No sin, no pride, um, no greed, no deception, just perfect love relationship. And so when Jesus, you know, with his father, in his father's presence for all of eternity, then took on flesh and came to this earth, there was, in a sense, there's a separation. It's different. The relationship is different. And yet Jesus was driven by 
his love for his father and by his awe of his father. So his, his father's power, his father's love just compelled him to want to be with his father. And so the way you know that is you look at, <clears throat> there's a prayer that Jesus prayed the night before he was crucified in Mark 14. We're going to cover it here in a couple months as we finish the gospel of Mark. But the way Jesus prayed, he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. That's one glimpse into Jesus' prayer life. And how did he start? He just started with the intimate word that a baby or child would use for a mommy or daddy. Just that intimacy, that love, that, that, that just joy of being in the presence of, of the Father. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. You are the Lord, Father. You are the sovereign God. And so that's what draws me into your presence. So Jesus wanted to make sure his life fulfilled his father's plan, but he was also just drawn by the greatness and the goodness of God. And if there's one thing you take away this morning, it's this, that God would love for you to talk to him because his love for you is astonishing and it's profound. He loves to hear your voice, all right? I heard a, read an analogy this week of how we respond to God's love. It's God who loves us first, and then we respond. So even when we pray, that's a response to God loving us first. Like, have you ever, if you've been a parent before, and you have a baby, like, I think we've got a few uh, uh, examples in the room today, but like, so, um, which is awesome. So, but you know, that first month or two that you have a new baby, there's not a lot going on, except some eating and some other stuff going on, right? And so there's basically this blob that's eating a lot, and you know what, a lot, and keeping you up at night. So, but there's kind of a new page that gets turned in your relationship with this child when that child starts locking eyes with you and when that child smiles. Like that first time at your voice or at your look or at your smile, that child smiles back. Like, isn't that cool? Like just, or maybe as grandpa, as a good friend, like you've had that, that experience. Like, um, but that child, where did that child learn to smile? Where did that child learn to reflect love? Well, that came from the mom or the dad, you know, or the grandparent or the friend, like just evoking that, teaching that. And so that's a response to being loved first. And so just realize that prayer, when you pray out, that's, that's a response to a God who has loved you, who has pursued you first, and he loves to hear your voice. And so um, may that be a part of what drives you to prayer as well. Um, but, but bottom line, prayer is an expression of our dependence on God. God, we need you, okay? So let's read the rest of their, I stopped their prayer short. Let's read uh, the rest of it here. So back, Acts 4, 23. So they started praying. Um, they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city there was gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. There's a lot there, but let's unpack it a little bit. Like, these guys are not daunted by what's happening. So Herod has been opposing them. Pilate has been opposing them. The Romans are opposing them. But these guys, when they pray, they just prayed, God, you are the sovereign God. And they, they learned about their sovereign God as they studied the scripture. And in the scripture, David had warned them that there's going to be a time, there's going to be opposition against 
the Lord's anointed against Jesus. So these, these disciples are praying, they're confident, they're dependent, saying, God, you're the sovereign God. You told us these times are gonna come, but it's your plan that's gonna unfold. So, so God, we are trusting in you. We are depending on you. And so you ask, okay, well, where can I get that kind of confidence in God that my immediate knee-jerk response is gonna be to depend on him? You guys, that's where prayer and your study of the Bible go hand in hand. Like the more you get to know your God, the more you're going to go to your God for dependence and, and, and for help in your times of need. So that's what these guys did. The scripture informed their knowledge of God. And they knew God as creator, sovereign God. They knew their God predicted times where people would be opposed to Jesus. And so they, they pushed through and they depended on God. And so let me, of the three points I'm making, this is the longest one. So if you're worried about your time, is Doug going to get us out by two? We'll be out way before two, I promise. So, but a couple of key points I want you to catch right away is that I think the key to a vibrant prayer life is to see God for who he is and then lay that next to seeing ourselves for who we really are. Like the more we see God's greatness and his goodness, and then in comparison to that, our need, our dependence, our brokenness, our weakness, I don't think, like if those two things are in play, you're not going to have to worry much in 2018 about making sure you're scheduling your little prayer times here or there, or are you going to use prayer cards? Are you going to use a journal? Are you going to read this book or that? Like I think once your heart is in that place, that God is as great and as good as he is and that you need him, I think prayer is going to just flow from your heart. You're going to just schedule it. You're going to just do it. You're going to constantly pray. And so my encouragement to us is, is first of all, prayer is just, if we could just cut it all away, it's not you using some special prayer language like King James, holieth, fathereth, weeth, thanketh, theeth, forth. You know, like, don't worry about the words, just let your heart pour out that when you need him, you tell him that, that you're depending on him, that he is great, he is good, and that you need him. And in that posture, prayer is going to come from your lives. And so, um, Jesus modeled that so well for his disciples. And, and Jesus taught them that apart from me, you can do nothing. The more we're, we realize that, the more we're just going to pray. So you come to Jesus needy. You come to him helpless. You, come, you don't clean up your act and then come to Jesus. You don't wait till you have everything together and then come to Jesus. You just pray to him. Whatever's bothering you, whatever's worrying you, whatever struggles are in your life, you just, you just talk to him. And remember that you're talking to a father who loves you and who, who is so thrilled to hear your voice. And so, and so uh, astonishing prayer is going to start with that place of a dependent heart. So the second thing I want us to see what these guys did, and the next two, again, next two points are a little quicker, but the heart of an astonishing prayer comes from a heart that just cries out for help. And when you need help, you just cry out. So look at Acts 4.29. So this is as they continue to, the, to pray. They say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The most common word in the Old Testament for prayer, the Hebrew word, literally meant just to cry out. So prayer is really just a crying out to God. And so as these guys had big needs, they cried out, God, free us from worry. God, notice their threats. 
God, you take care of their threats. In the meantime, we are not going to fear. We're going to know that you're noticing their threats, and we're going to move forth boldly. We're going to do what you have called us to do. So they're crying out to God for help. And again, you ask, okay, where do these average, ordinary people learn to do that? They learned that from Jesus. Like if you looked at the life of Jesus, there's times where he just cried out through prayer for help. Think of one that we've already studied in the Gospel of Mark this fall, when Jesus fed 5,000 men, maybe 20,000 people, and all he had was two Lunchables. Remember the five loaves, two fish? That's all he had. And he fed everybody. He prayed and then fed everybody. Okay, so they saw him cry out to God. But I think even more powerfully was the night before Jesus was crucified, his prayer in the garden where he's praying for help, And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And you guys, this this next semester, this next spring, as we finish the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be, it's riveting to watch Jesus walk through that Passion Week, to walk through uh, the lies, the, the false accusations in the trial, the beatings, the suffering, and the crucifixion itself. You see Jesus walking through that with such a resolve, you're going to be amazed and astonished. You say, where did Jesus get that strength? I would say Jesus got that strength, that that victory was won in that night of prayer before arrest and crucifixion, where he prayed, I think the verb tenses in some of the Gospels uh, allude that that prayer was prayed over and over again. That wasn't just a simple four-line prayer, and then he moved on. But that Jesus agonized. The Gospel of Luke tells us that he sweat... um, drops of blood. That's how intense this was. But you're going to see Jesus with astonishment walk through the trials, the crucifixion, uh, because he was so empowered by this prayer. And so the disciples saw that. In fact, they were, they were there. Remember, he, if you know the story, he invited them along with them. And he said, you watch and pray, and I'm going to go over here and pray. And he'd come back and check on them. And what were they doing? They're like, Right, they're sleeping. That happened three different times. And it was in that context he said, uh, watch and pray because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's teaching them, guys, you cannot crank this stuff out on your own. You do not have the strength. Let me model for you what you do when you need help. You pray, and you, con- you pray, and you pray, and you keep seeking the Father. And so that's where they learned that, that the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So let me pause for a second and and ask this. Well, how do we know that God is going to answer our cry for help? How do we know that? And so um, the answer to that is in that same uh, prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. Because, and correct me if I'm wrong in this, but from eternity past, and I believe for the rest of eternity, um, there was only one prayer that the Father had heard from the Son to which the Father said no. And when Jesus said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you, take this cup from me, Jesus was asking, and I don't understand all the dynamics there, but Jesus was asking, is there any way this cup of wrath, of me going to the cross to pay for the sins of the world, is there any way that can be taken from me? And the Father answered that with no. Okay, because that cup was not taken Remember, Jesus' last line was not my will, but yours. Jesus came to do his Father's will, to live by his Father's plan, not his. But because God the Father said no to that prayer, is the whole reason now when any one of us, 
offers a prayer, again, does anybody qualify to be able to ask God for help? The Son of God, yes, does. But the rest of us, absolutely not. Like sinful, rebellious, small, broken people crying out to the eternal, holy, creator God, there's no way we deserve that access. But because God the Father said no to the, Father's son, to the Son's prayer to take away this cup, now that opens up the opportunity for us through Jesus to become children of God so that we can ask the Father, just like Jesus could ask the Father, we have access to the Father to ask him for things as well. So does God hear our prayers? I would say if you are in Christ, if Jesus is your is your Savior, if your sins have been forgiven, you can be assured that God hears your prayers. Um, the Bible tells us that Jesus is at the Father's right hand now, interceding for us. He's praying for us. And so I don't know if this happens, but literally maybe the first time you ever prayed a prayer, I don't know, God the Father could ask, who is that? I don't, I don't know that voice right now. And Jesus, the Son who died for you and took your place on the cross, could say, I know that one. I died for that one. That one, I love that one. And so you would be loved then and heard then in the same way that God loves the Son and hears the Son. So absolutely, God hears your prayer through Jesus. And how do we know that? It's because God said no to the Father in the garden so that he can say yes to us. So there's confidence in that. God loves you. God loves to hear from your prayers. In fact, look at Psalm 91, verse 14. There's so many of the Psalms that are written as prayers to God or prayers about God. These couple of verses are God's response to his people who pray. So this is God speaking. Look what God says in Psalm 91. He says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. And when he calls to me, I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Isn't that awesome? That's God to you. Like, does God hear your prayers? The answer is absolutely yes through Jesus. So you cry out for help. And so I don't know, we're at the start of a new year. Like as you look ahead this year, like what are the big challenges? What are the big, big struggles you're facing? Even this morning, I've had the privilege of praying with some people to have some big ones right here, right now at the start of the year. Someone in your family, your own health, something financial, all kinds of things going on. You can know that God hears your prayer and that God invites you to, to cast those prayers on him. So, so prayer shows our dependence. Prayer is a great place to cry out for help. And the last thing I want us to, to catch here is that the person that prays makes a profound declaration that God is astonishing, okay? That, that simply you stopping to pray is making a statement that there is someone greater and that there is someone who cares. That is why you're praying. Like your very act of prayer is making a declaration that you think God is awesome. And so we see that at the end of this passage in Acts 4, again, this prayer meeting. A couple of verses will be overlap, and then we'll read a couple more. So Acts 4.29. So they're praying again. This is kind of the conclusion of their prayer. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
these guys, average, ordinary men and women, did astonishing things uh, because they prayed to an astonishing God, and then God moved through them. God removed their fear, and they were bold, and they moved forward with the gospel. You know, there are many critics and skeptics of the Christian faith. Like, they're from different angles, the Christian faith gets attacked. Well, it's not real. It's not true. And so one of those, um, one of the strong answers for Christianity, I believe, comes from the realm of history, the evidence of history, that even, even secular non-Christian historians will look at this time period of the early church and, and will conclude, yes, there's, there is extra biblical evidence that there was a Jesus, that he died, that people said he rose again from the dead. But one thing that historians cannot understand or describe or explain is how did this early movement of such a small group of people grow so rapidly uh, and so broadly in such a short amount of time? Like right after the resurrection of Christ, right in the region where Christ was crucified, the church exploded and it took off. And so... Um, it's, it's an interesting evidence back about the Christian faith. And, that, of course, we would say the answer is, is that because people saw Jesus alive and people couldn't stop talking about it, they couldn't stop preaching about a resurrected Jesus. And, and then that emboldened them to lay down their lives and to be loving and generous. And people were drawn, I believe, not initially by the doctrine that God became man and died and rose again, but by these lives of these people who were living with such passion and joy and generosity that people were just leaning in to the movement and then understood it was a resurrected Jesus that was empowering this movement. So, so these people, through their prayer and through their lives, made a powerful declaration that God is astonishing. And so God, God moved through uh, their prayers. And so, um, so my encouragement there, too, and I believe uh, as Jesus, again, you could say, well, where did these guys learn to pray so boldly and to make such such bold declarations in their prayer again that goes back to jesus jesus taught them that when you pray pray boldly in um in luke 11 where jesus taught them the lord's prayer you know our father in heaven how would be your name that one right after he told the lord's prayer he told him a story about how he wanted us to pray to him okay so the story is there was a man who suddenly had guests come to stay with him and it was his duty by that culture to have that family be able to come and stay with them and feed them. But he had no bread. Like that would mean major shame on your family. No 24-hour high vee no motels. So you were supposed to be able to stay in somebody's house. This guy was shown up short. He had no, no bread. So out of desperation, middle of the night, he goes to a friend's house, starts banging on his door and say, I need some bread, man. I got, I got some visitors that came in and I don't have any bread for him. Need some bread. And the voice from the inside, so his friend's like, what are you doing? It's late. And it sounds like a lame excuse, but the guy on the inside says, um, I can't, my, my family's in bed with me and all of this. And literally, I believe this was a small house where literally children, mom, dad are kind of all in the same area. And so you know what it's like with young kids. You finally get them down. Oh, nice, we're going to sleep. But the concept of waking them all up so I can go get this guy some bread, it was like a major pain. I'm not going to do that. But look at verse 8, how Jesus concludes that parable. Jesus says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, so think audacity or gall, because of his audacity, he will rise and give him whatever 
he needs. I mean, this friend had the nerve to ask for something so big. I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us about prayer. It's like, when you pray, man, pray your bold, big, audacious prayers. Like, what do you need from me? Show me through your prayers that you think I'm astonishing. Declare my greatness and my goodness by how you pray and what you pray for. And so I got to be careful here. Like, whatever you pray for, God loves hearing from you. He loves your voice. But honestly, like if you looked at the script, the transcripts of our prayers, the content of our prayer journal, I wonder if God at times is threatened to yawn. Just, you know, like if we're just asking for such simple things, like I think he's saying, bring it on. Like declare to yourself and the people around you how great and good you believe I am. Like let's ask for big things. Let's, let's seek God for those audacious things the things you see around you that need God to step in, the people in pain, the people in suffering, the needs in our church, the needs in our world that you are not afraid, the needs in your own life, the addictions, the battles, the discouragement. Don't be afraid to just pray audaciously before God and ask him for big things. God is big enough to handle it. And God is honored by big, bold, audacious prayers. So if I could just wrap it up. I'll do this. Your third service, I can do this. Just one other one. I want you to, what I love about the Bible is like, these guys were astonishing, these these early Christians, average, ordinary, uneducated. Um, But if you look at Acts chapter 12, you just go a few more chapters, you see they're a lot like us, okay? Like they still battle with, is God really going to answer his prayer or not? There's a really kind of funny story. I'm, I'm saying this to remind you that we are all struggling with prayer, okay? So, uh, Peter gets arrested, and most likely his life is in danger. He's about ready to get killed. He's in a prison cell, guarded by four squads of soldiers, okay? It looks, looks like it's over for Peter. In the meantime, uh, and by the way, James, one of the church leaders, had already been killed. It's so, like there's bad momentum for the church. Peter's in jail. It looks bad for Peter. There's a bunch of Christians praying, oh God, could you please get Peter out of prison? I could just praying fervently and earnestly that God would move. Peter's probably praying too. We don't have his script, what's going on in his side of things. But in the middle of the night, God releases Peter. And it's kind of cool. Read the story, but kind of lets him out. And he goes through this station and that station and that station. And before he knows it, Peter's out in the street, just completely out of the prison and he's free. But if you read how it's worded about Peter, it's like, he's kind of thinking, this is a vision. This is a dream. This isn't really happening. (laughs) And so like, instead of like, yeah, man, God's answering my prayer. It's like, boom, boom, boom. And he's out on the street, free to go. Okay, then when he realizes, kind of even words like, when he comes to his senses, he realizes, oh, God answered my prayer. This is cool. So he goes to where he knows the believers are praying. It gets funnier there. So meanwhile, they're all there praying, oh, God, please get Peter out of prison. Get Peter out of prison. Peter goes and he knocks on their door. And so apparently there was a servant girl named Rhoda that goes to answer the door. And she freaks out, it's Peter. And so she goes back and tells everybody, hey, everybody, Peter. Like, she's so excited, she doesn't let him in. You would think, let the guy in so he doesn't get rearrested and all that. She comes back and tells everybody, Peter's out. He's like, like no, nah, it couldn't be Peter. No, nah, it must be his angel or something. You're not, you're not seeing things right. Couldn't be Peter. Like, again, these are, bottom line, it was. And she convinced him and they let him in and they went crazy and celebrated. But like, so they're just like us, you guys. I, I think of the verse that talks about Elijah. The prophet was great in prayer, but he's a man just like us. You know, they, they battled the same things we do, but yet still God moved through average ordinary people as they cried out in dependence, as they asked for bold, daring, audacious requests. And God's glory was declared through them and through their prayers. And so 
man, may this be a year where we see God do those things in us. And if I could just give a couple tips just as we go. I think, number one, we got to, the whole heart issue I'm trying to run after today is to just see your need and, and don't be afraid of that need. Just come to God messy. Come to God dependent. Be real and just talk to God about the needs in your heart. That's going to be a battle. I think anywhere on this planet, that's a battle for a human being. But I think in Iowa City, it's an especial battle. We think we've got our education. We got our training. We got our experience. This is a city about achievement. I don't need to admit my weakness. You guys, the, the key to prayer is to admit your absolute dependence and weakness and that you can do nothing apart from God. Once that heart position is squared up with that God is great and good and loves to hear from you, you're well on the way to prayer, okay? Being more real in your life. So come to God, needy, messy, dependent. You don't have to clean up your act to come to God. Just come to him. He loves, he loves hearing from you, okay? So maybe a few things that can help you beyond that. Um, I, I like to keep track of what I'm praying about, you guys, because I can be so short-memoried about God answering prayers. I can be so consumed with what's next that I forget about what he's done. So for you, that's prayer cards, old school. You know, you have got topics and you keep updates on how he's answering them. Do that. You'll be encouraged because God is doing way more than you realize he is. Or if that's through a journal or if it's new school technology, you're using Evernote, you're using something on your an app on your phone. Do something to keep track of your quests because God is at work more than you realize, okay? I would say that. I would say... Um, one thing these guys did that we don't do so well at in the early church was they prayed together. They prayed together. I mean, I think it's an accomplishment if we pray individually more. Like, yeah, that's great. We're, we've made a step. But I, I just think we need to make that next step in our culture and in our church is that we're more apt to pray together. And so if that's marriages in this room, that you're praying together, or families that we're praying together, or community groups, or friendships, sometimes it's so weird that it's weird to be the one to initiate prayer like I feel like I'm killing the rhythm here or I'm you know like what if we prayed like sometimes you feel so stupid doing that but actually you shouldn't like that's the best thing you can do to bring people together and to encourage each other corporately so I just that's that's been on my radar for this next year is like how can we encourage more just praying together or uh, if somebody says to you, would you pray for this or that, instead of just, yeah, I'll pray for that sometime. Like, why not just pray right then, right there? But to to look into that, maybe even, guys, make prayer more of a topic that you talk about with your family, that you're learning from each other. How do you pray? What have you learned about prayer with your community group? But, but let's raise that dial on praying uh, together and learning from each other about how to pray. So, and one other thing, I think it's in your bulletin, but there's this, um, I got it from John McHale, actually. There's a hour of prayer. I think you have a link to it. Um, if you don't, we'll get it out to you next week. But there's a, there's a simple uh, diagram that shows what could you do in an hour of prayer. And so for some of us, like, well, pray for an hour. That's going to be really hard. But this really breaks it down into five-minute increments and what you could do for five minutes. And so I've tried to do that prayer wheel once a week and it really flies by. You'll be amazed. So if you've never prayed long, if you want an idea of like how you could do that, I would, I would encourage that to you. So again, if it's not in your bulletin, I can get it to you. Um, but my encouragement is this, to build into your rhythm somewhere where you're praying for a longer uninterrupted time. And what you'll find is that those times really fuel your day-to-day -day times, your shorter 
prayer times or when you're praying on the fly. It's a lot like a friendship or a marriage that if you get like a weekend together and you really get caught up and you get to spend a lot of time together, then maybe you step into like a month where you're not seeing each other that much or it's busy. But that, that weekend together really fueled your whole month. You'll see the same thing happen in your prayer life, that, that if we can wedge in those times, like Jesus often broke free to just pray away from everything, to pray for extended times. Watch what that would do to your rhythm of prayer too. So let me pray and it will wrap up today. So but actually before I pray, I want you to go first and I want you to just pray uh, to God and just respond to what it was that hit you this morning, either that, that he loves you, that he initiated this relationship, that he wants to hear from you or what Jesus did for you on the cross opens up your ability to just talk to God and to be heard by God just like, just like the Son of God um, prayed directly to his Father. You know, you can pray. Or if there's a big need in your life and it's just been hanging on you, this is the time to just ask him for help. So you go first, and then I'll close in prayer. God, again, we're asking that you would just draw your people to more boldly, more regularly, more often just come to you and you're a God who just can't wait to hear from us. So we don't want to go in guilt or shame this morning. We don't want to go in arrogance and say, I don't really need to pray. We just want to come before you needy, dependent, understanding that we're welcomed, we're invited, we're heard by the almighty, the all-loving God. What an amazing privilege prayer is. In Jesus' name, amen.